Do you want to go deeper in your faith even while you're on the go? No matter how busy the season you're in, Access More has a library of faith-based podcasts to help you grow spiritually with podcasts from Christian thought leaders such as Christine Kane, Lisa Harper, Taryn Wells, and Bob Goff. You can hear podcasts on religion, culture, family, entertainment, and so much more. Access More gives you a safe space to find inspiring conversations about faith. Start listening today at accessmore.com or the Access More app. The same, I have people who, when I preach, they'll put the title of the sermon and the text. And if I come back to it 10 years later, oh, you preached this. I said, no, I'm a different man. And I'm experiencing that text a different way. Oh. Today. And I do. Stories stir the soul. Stories reveal. And stories heal. In this podcast, we will give you an inside look at someone who's had a life-changing breakthrough. Real people, real stories with real breakthroughs. As a health and wellness expert and coach and Todd as a men's mentor, we've seen firsthand what God can do when it comes to a breakthrough. So lean in, listen well. This could be your biggest breakthrough. Hello and welcome to this episode of Your Biggest Breakthrough. I'm Wendy Pett. And I'm Todd Isburner. And Wendy, Wendy, Wendy. Yes. I have a question, especially <laughs> yes. in light of who our guest is today and uh-huh. what I've been thinking about. I'm I'm just making an assumption that just about anybody who has belief in God um, and goes through a bad time, that they start to wonder, well, wait a minute, if God is so good, how come I have to experience this very bad thing? Mm. Don't you think? I mean, well, sure. a lot of people struggle with that. Well, even with all the you know, bad, tough things that are going on right now from mm. the pandemic to uh, gosh, inflation or politics yeah. or the riots, all the or divisiveness, all the, yeah, all the loss, bad stuff loss happening. of loved ones. Like yeah. how do you get a grip on, on, um, yeah. On the goodness on of the God. Goodness of well, God. This is what I'm excited about in speaking with our guest today, because he is convinced that our God is good and that he has a good story. And it'll have a good ending. I like the way that sounds. <laughs> Everybody yes. loves that, but it's going to take some <laughs> faith and understanding to get to the bottom of that. Yes. Well, our guest today is Richard S. Hips, and he is a retired minister living in Memphis, Tennessee. And he is a graduate of Bavard College, Mars Hill University, Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary in Vanderbilt, Vanderbilt University. He was also a visiting scholar in Christian ethics at Harvard Divinity School. Richard married his high school sweetheart, Patricia Ann McIntosh, and they will celebrate 40 years of marriage this coming March. And interestingly, Richard and Patricia, I love this. They're born the same day, January (laughs) January 15th, 1953. But Richard makes a point to put this in his bio. He is senior by 14 (laughs) hours, by 14 hours. (laughs) But they have two amazing living children, Justin and Lacey, and their youngest, Alexandra, who died in 1993, two months shy of her fifth birthday. They also have four wonderful grandchildren. So welcome to your biggest breakthrough, Pastor Richard Hips. We are so glad to have you on the show. Yeah. yeah grateful <laughs> that you're able to take the time to, to join us today. Welcome. Good hey, good to see you. Good Thank to see you. you. And I love your accent. It makes me feel a little bit like I'm at home in a way. Yeah. Of I, have, I, I was... have an accent in Portuguese as well. Do you? Oh, do you? Okay. Well, so we, <laughs> I guess we are, so. Richard, where did you grow up? 
in Asheville, North Carolina, in the okay. mountains of North Carolina. Yeah. Beautiful wow. area. It was Billy Graham territory. Sure is. Yeah. yeah. Beautiful. Nice. So, Richard, I uh, I first got to start off by letting you know I just finished your book with these words. And I love the subtitle, by the way. Let me just hold that up on, for those who are watching on YouTube. With these words is the title of it. And the subtitle of it is A Pastor's Best Guesses About God's Good Story. <laughs> so right off the bat, that caught my attention, but I had a chance to, to read through this just recently. And there's no question in my mind, you have a profound and deep understanding of who God is and, and how he is at work. But I'm guessing that didn't just happen overnight. Can you tell us, how did your faith journey begin? How did you come to Christ? What were the circumstances? Yeah, it's, uh, it's an interesting story. I did not grow up in church. We would go occasionally. Neighbors would come by and ask to take the kids to Bible school, and I went. And uh, in high school, I had friends who became Christians. They would invite me to come to church. And I always believed in God, but it was sort of nebulous. I knew that God existed, and I hoped that He loved me. But um, I met Patricia in high school, and she had this rule that— uh, she doesn't date boys that don't go to church with her. Oh, I so, uh, <laughs> she was a member of First Baptist Church Asheville. Uh -huh. And I would go and listen to these boring sermons of <laughs> Dr. Cecil Sherman up in the balcony. <laughs> All the time, God was using him to, to plant seeds in my life. Mm -hmm. And I remember about 10 years after that, Dr. Sherman had asked me to preach. We were on our way to Brazil. He was traveling, and I looked up in the balcony, and I said, young men, that's a very dangerous place up there. And that is how God used my wife to help bring me to faith. And friends, um, at that time, after I graduated from high school, right after high school, I had started college, and my mother uh, was diagnosed with breast cancer. She was just 39. And she was sort of uh, the sun, and we all orbited around her and uh, loved my mama. Uh, mama's boy, I'm proud to say that. Huh. And mama got uh, very sick. And in, in my need at that time, I went to my friends at their church, and their parents sort of adopted me and helped me. And uh, my mother died nine months later. <clears throat> I dropped out of college for a while just to be with her. I would stay in the hospital with her. And it was interesting. Back in those days, they had two beds to a room. And usually another patient would be in the room with you. And um, pastors would come in and visit the person next to mama and often would introduce themselves uh, and engage her in conversation, me in conversation. All the while, God was teaching me how to be a good pastor. I didn't know that then. Mm. And I watched their faithful witness to my mother. And I think over these 45 years of um, pastoral ministry, my passion has been to be a good pastor, to take care of my flock. Uh, I'll go to the dentist with them if they want me to. I don't care. I'm, I'm there for them. I want them. And, and um I, I want to be a good preacher, but I more than more than anything, I want to be a good pastor. And I think through my own pain of my mother's death and at a young age, uh, <clears throat> you know, being able to to see other pastors uh, mentor me. And it's interesting. 
at the age of 20, after that experience, um, I felt maybe God was calling me to some kind of ministry. And I remember telling Patricia, you know, God, I wonder if God is calling me to ministry. And she said, you want to study theology? And I'm telling you the truth. At that age, I did not know what that word meant, theology. <laughs> and the way God has used our lives uh, is really humorous. I, I went on to college, decided to major in religion and history, double majored. And when I was a senior in college, one of my professors said, I'm interim pastor at this little church about 50 miles away. Do you want to go preach? Well, I hadn't preached. And uh, I said, yeah, I want to go. I'll do it. <laughs> and uh, I got a little book. There was a series of books back then called Simple Sermons on Every Doctrine You Could Think Of. So I bought those things and I preached them. I preached them. And um, I went to this little church. He said, I'll be gone two weeks, uh, Beaver Creek Baptist Church. He said, you can preach two weeks. Well, I was thrilled and I went to preach. The first time I preached there, the deacons after the service that evening said, we would like to meet with you. And I said, okay. And they said, we want you to be our pastor. So I went back to college, told my professor, he's with the Lord now. He laughed out loud. He said, you've not even been to seminary. No way. Just tell those people next week you appreciate it, and that's fine. And so I drove 50 miles with every intention of telling them I can't be your pastor. But I told them, yeah, I'll be your pastor. <laughs> and I couldn't, stayed there four resist. and a half years. Didn't know anything about ministry, but those people loved me into the ministry. I, it's a wonder it's I didn't beautiful. drown half of them baptizing them because I <laughs> didn't even know how to baptize somebody. But older ministers, they stepped up and they helped mentor me. Wow, Very that is beautiful. That. I'm thinking about, uh, you know, in, in Scripture where it says, and God uses the foolish things of the world. <laughs> he sure does. <laughs> he definitely does that. Absolutely. Yeah. But you were you were just so willing yeah. and uh, surrendered to whatever God has for you, and just it, it's just a reminder that when God opens the door, no, you know that no man can open or close. You, you know it, yeah. and so that's what this was. And um, you know, I'm just so grateful. I know that we connected years and years ago, and it was based on uh, you've written three different books, but I remember it was the Focus Life, the Beatitudes uh -huh. of the Everyday Living, and then you had a book. When a Child Dies, Stories of Survival and Hope. And we connected on some level, but I remember hearing your heart for, for your church and, and your family and just what a, a, a quality human being you are. And um, I'm just so grateful that you, you, uh, you are, are leading the charge and, and, and doing what God has called you to do because I know Thank you've made you a big difference in people's lives. So your, your core belief is that, um, that God is a good God yeah. with a good story and that it's going to have a good ending. Yeah. So only that could happen with a good God. Well, right, well yes, right. but, but you know, a lot right away, it just raises questions for a lot of people. Like, but what's happening in my life is not yeah, a like good you don't thing. understand. Yeah. So how can I connect God being a good God when this thing in my life is so bad? And you're, as you told your story about your mother going through cancer, you were already suffering something very bad or hurtful, I should say, painful. Yeah. Where were you at with God in that moment? Were you starting to turn more towards trusting him or were you, were you doubting? 
You know, I, I have always had, always had a deep trust in the Lord. I, mm-hmm. I really have. And it's, it's a childlike trust. Um, I, I'm reading a book now by uh, uh, Mandy Smith, who has written a book in talking about the difference between a, a child's faith and an adult's faith. And she even, her name is Amanda, and she says when she's very adult in her uh, relationship with the Lord, it's like uh, going to a business meeting with God. But she said in her childlike faith, it's like God saying, let's go on a picnic. Mm. Let's go on a picnic. And And I really think that that childlike faith has always been a gift to me. I truly believe that regardless of what life gives us. And, and remember, I'm saying God is good. Life is not good sometimes. And nowhere in Scripture are we promised that life is going to be good all the time. But we are promised that God is good all the time. Mm-hmm. And that's the stabilizing force. And it does take faith. And I'm just, I have to ask this because I know somebody is saying, okay, okay, okay. I really want that childlike faith yeah, how do I get that, it? that Richard has. How do I get that? How do I get childlike faith? I think you just ask for it. You really mm-hmm. do. You just ask that God will help you to believe that he is good. And, and I truly believe the Holy Spirit will give you that childlike faith. Mm-hmm. Uh, you, you know, this life is going to have a lot of challenges and it ends poorly. I mean, if you read Hebrews chapter 11, you get that long list of people who, who received the promise, but did not get it in this life. They have right. to wait for what Hebrews calls a better resurrection. So I think in this life, if we're expecting everything to turn out good, uh, we're going to be very disappointed. In fact, it's not going to turn out good. Mm-hmm. Uh, look at all the disciples. How many of the disciples lived to be a hundred and died in their sleep? <laughs> right, right. You know, yeah, it just doesn't happen. I, I love the distinction you're making, Richard, between there being a good God and stuff in life not being so good. Yeah. And we don't have to attribute the not so good stuff to God who is good. But I want you to take us through your story of where that you really got impacted with the reality of a very painful situation and how you were able to conclude that he's a good God with a good story, with a good ending. And I'm talking about what happened with your daughter. Can you walk us through that? Part of that, because we want to start actually at the church, which you had people do at the church first. Oh, okay. Yeah. Uh, oh, the, the, the couple of weeks prior. Yes, to, uh, yes. 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 We were missionaries on furlough. We had stayed five years. We would stay five years at a time, and that is not coming home. Uh, back then, we just didn't have the opportunity to come home, didn't have the money as missionaries to come home. And where were so you again? We were in Brazil, in Brazil the southernmost right. part of Brazil. Okay. And uh, we had gone back to Brazil in 1987, and shortly after, in 1988, Alexandra was born. So she was nearly four years old when we came home on furlough, and her family, only a couple who had come to Brazil, uh, knew her. So she was coming back to America to meet her family. And I never will forget, we first got home, and we had a a big family reunion, and one of the aunts looked at Alexandra and asked her, well, how do you feel about being in your country? And she looked at her and said, I'm a Brazilian. (laughs) (laughs) 
And she was. And when she died, we actually put the Brazilian flag on her little coffin. But she loved it. She she spoke Portuguese as well as she did English. Mm. And while we were home on furlough, we had only been home uh, about six months. We all had the flu. And we all got better except for Alexandra. And uh, we were living in Smyrna, Georgia. And uh, we took her back to our pediatrician. And he said, I think she needs to be rehydrated. So let's take her over to Children's Hospital, which we did. And we were there a few hours. And they actually were going to let her come home. And as she sat up on the table, still had the blood pressure monitor on her. Her blood pressure became very erratic. And they said, no, we're dealing with something else. Mm. So they moved her to intensive care and all this in a period of about 16, 18 hours. And Mm. we went there early in the morning and went to ICU about 10 p.m. And we stayed awake all night with her. She was restless. And um, I I never will forget, uh, I was seated. Patricia was standing by her bed and she looked like she was a little anxious or afraid and And Patricia said, darling, you don't have to be afraid. Mom and daddy are here. And we never will forget what she said. She said, Jesus is here. And we Mm -hmm. said, yes, he is. And about 5 a.m., she said, daddy, I want to go home. And I said, it won't be long. The doctor will be in and maybe we can. And it was shortly after that that uh, she uh, died Mm -hmm. just suddenly. Mm -hmm. And they rushed us out. When the chaplain came in, I knew that she had died. We were numb. And uh, the doctor said, we really don't know what it was. So they did an autopsy. It took several weeks to determine that she had myocarditis, which Mm -hmm. is an inflammation of the lining of the heart. And I I never will forget when we were standing there, Patricia and I, after they told us that Alexandra had died, we were just standing there hugging each other. And in our hearts, we both heard the same thing. It's okay. Mm. It's okay. Mm. Now, to ask me to explain that, I can't. I can only say that it's okay. And we trusted God through that. We, We went through deep, deep grief, as you would imagine, because we had already created, they had asked me to go back to equatorial Brazil to teach for four years before I went back to the South. And it's a hardship. It's way up on the Amazon. And taking my family back to that new place with new friends, right in the midst of the grief that we were going through, uh, I really, and Patricia and I prayed, we did not think that was God's will. So I went back into the pastoral ministry. In Brazil, I taught in a theological seminary. I went back to North Carolina and stayed at the church there for nine years. And they, this congregation allowed me to basically preach through my grief, mm. which I appreciate that very much. Mm. Yes. There nine years, and then we moved to Memphis, where I just retired after 17 and a half years. So all of our our um, life has, has um, uh, you know, life will challenge your theology. Mm-hmm. And yeah. um, I never doubted God's goodness, but at the same time, Patricia and I both realized that we could either relinquish this back to God, trusting Him and asking Him not to waste our pain, which He has not. Mm-hmm. Patricia went back, did a master's degree in counseling. She just retired when I did. 
we work and have worked with many couples who have lost children. And I think that God ministering to us in our pain and our grief taught us how to do that for others. Mm. Sure. Mm. So that's exactly why I think God doesn't waste our pain. That's beautiful. That's a very important thing to keep in mind because when we're in pain, it seems like we're so distracted by the pain. It's hard to see outside of our pain and begin to lose perspective. But you had a little bit of one thing. Let me say one other thing about the pain and the suffering. Um, There's a writer I like, Barbara Brown Taylor. She helped me understand the difference between pain and suffering. Pain is basically physical. I have a pain in my arm or in my leg. Suffering is, I mean, it's, it's something you, pain is something you can touch. Suffering is mental. Suffering is the definition that we give to our pain. Mm-hmm. And I think that we Christians, we have this wonderful Bible that teaches us that our pain does not have to be wasted and that it's part of something much greater than our individual lives. So our suffering was lessened because of the way we thought about it. Our defining story of Jesus helped us there. Yeah, That's that good. is that is profound, and yeah. that, is, that is so good. Uh, I, I want to go back for just a minute because a couple of weeks before Alex's passing, uh, was it with you and your congregation you challenged them to sign a piece of paper yeah, in terms what? of God's promises? Tell us about that. We had been, as missionaries, we would do what they call deputation. We would go around to other congregations and talk about missions. Uh, And we had just gotten back to to this church that was hosting us on a Saturday night. We were tired. We'd been traveling. And uh, we had looked forward to just going to church the next day and and sitting, listening to a good sermon and being fed. And about 5 a.m., the pastor, he telephoned and he said, Richard, I am sick. I've been up all night. I, I, it's too late to ask anyone else, would you preach this morning? And I said, of course, I'll do that. And when I hung up, I thought, what have I done? You they are a yes man. That's what I can Listen, tell you. You're a yes man. man. I'm a yes man. <laughs> when it comes and to I'm God's thinking, work, you don't, you don't care. You just do, go for it. <laughs> what do I do? They're, they televise. And I was not prepared. To, and I, you know, I didn't want to talk about missions again because that's all I talked about at that congregation. So I had read this story of a missionary who had come home to retire, and uh, he was telling his congregation something that had happened many, many years, decades earlier, that as a young man, before he and his wife went, he went into the sanctuary, got on his knees, and he had written a list of all the things that he promised God uh, that he would do as a missionary. They were leaving. He didn't know anything about the mission field, but these are my promises, God, that I'll be faithful. I'll be true. I'll study the language. I will contextualize all of these things. And then uh, he left going out of the con- out of the sanctuary, and he just felt that something was missing. So he went back and got on his knees, and he said, Lord, I'm listening. I, I I just don't have the freedom to leave yet. And in his spirit, he heard God say, turn the paper over. I see all of these promises. Just turn the paper over and sign your name at the bottom and let me fill it in the way I Mm. want to. And he said, okay. And he did that. He turned it over, signed it. When I heard that story, I thought, you know, that's trust. That's what it's all about. 
that, uh, you know, man makes his plans, but God directs his steps. So I thought, hey, I'm going to build off of that. And I, I, I got a big ream of paper, about 500 pages there, and I had it on in the, in, uh, at, the, at the pulpit. And after I preached, I told that story. I said, how many of you would be willing to do that? And I, I held up my paper with my name signed at the bottom. This was on Valentine's Day, February the 14th, 1993, Richard S. Hips at the bottom. I said, I mean, good times and bad, folks, not just the good times, good times and bad, happy and sad. How many of you will sign it and trust God through it all? About 50 people came that morning and picked it up. Others later said they signed it and had it in their Bible. Little did I know that God was preparing us uh, because two weeks later, to the day on February the 28th, 1993, we were at Green Hills Cemetery in Asheville, North Carolina, burying Alex, our, our little child. Mm -hmm. The last picture we have of her and our family together was taken that morning I preached, and a wow. member gave it to us later. And Alex was a big fan of C.S. Lewis's The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. Oh, yeah. We had the animated version in Brazil. That child watched that at least 50 times. <laughs> and she just loved Aslan. And on her <clears throat> tombstone in Asheville, Patricia is a, a good artist. She drew the head of a lion. And we had it carved on her tombstone. And we took that wonderful prophecy of Aslan. Wrong will be right when Aslan comes in sight. At the sound of his roar, sorrows will be no more. When he bears his teeth, winter meets his death. And when he shakes his mane, we'll have spring again. Mm -hmm. And every time we go to the cemetery, we leave with those words. Mm -hmm. We will have spring again. Uh, <laughs> so, powerful. People, so powerful. Yeah. 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 And, and, to know that it's been this many years, 28, 27, 28 and, years. Right. Yeah. And so to, I mean, you've got tears in your eyes as you're sharing it. We've got tears in our eyes hearing about it because the grief doesn't necessarily stop, right? It just shows up no. differently. And no. um, anyway, I know this, that your grief is, is really helping others through theirs. And so thank you for always sharing uh, her story and, and how you yeah. guys handle and have handled her passing. Yeah. And this and Saturday, go ahead. I was just going to say this Saturday, I have uh, the funeral of a 36 year old who had had a lot of problems. Uh, I, I knew his, his son uh, only through his father. I, his father attended our church occasionally. And when he died, of course, his father's devastated. And one of the questions he asks me, how did you survive? Yeah. And once again, this is what I'm saying. What we have gone through has prepared us for ministry. And hopefully, seeing that Patricia and I have survived and have thrived, not just survived, thrived, yes. uh, that he can too. Yeah, mm. our, our, our God is good. And there is... He is good. Good story. You have to end. you have to believe that, and uh, and then act on that, and continue. And sometimes make the decision over and over again. But this is what I've decided to believe. But yeah. in, in in light of that, Richard, sometimes when it comes to you know hearing pastors or, or or Bible teachers, they will oftentimes explain things by saying, "Now the Bible, the Bible says." says. <laughs> but I love something that you wrote in your book. Uh, 
that you believe people instead should be saying it more like this from, from my understanding of what Absolutely. the Bible says. Can you Absolutely. expand on that a little bit? Cause that's, that's very freeing actually. And it's actually yeah. very fresh because I actually yeah. just had a conversation with a loved one. And had I said from my understanding, as opposed the Bible says, I think the conversation would have went totally mm. different, but let's talk about why and how that can make a difference in, in just the setup of a conversation. Well, one way we can understand it is we grow in our faith. We grow in our knowledge. For instance, all through my ministry, I have handwritten my sermons. In fact, wow. I've got hundreds of them. And the reason I do that is if I type it, I don't remember it well. If I handwrite it, I do. And I've got sermons from 30, 40 years ago. And my understanding as a 28-year-old pastor is not the same as a 68-year-old pastor because of life experience, the things God has taught me through uh, great mentors, writers that I thoroughly enjoy that God has used to help me grow in my faith. And I've realized that we have to approach the scriptures with a humble spirit. Mm. You know, sometimes we come across as so arrogant right. that uh, we know this and you don't know this. And oh, if you only yeah. knew this. Yeah. And uh, I have learned that God is full of surprises. His word is alive. And every time we come to it, you know, I've preached the same. I have people who, when I preach, they'll put the title of the sermon and the text. And if I come back to it 10 years later, oh, you preached this. I said, no. I'm a different man, and I'm experiencing that text a different way oh, today. And I do, I do. So, Richard, that is so. Listen, that is so freeing uh, for all of us because sometimes I think as Christians, when we're in discussion with others, we we think we're expected to know everything. Yeah. We should have the answers for that person yeah. from you know from God's viewpoint. And what you're saying is, you don't have to have all the answers. <laughs> Because you're still in a learning, growing mode, right? One of the one of the hardest lessons I learned as a young man was to say, "I don't know." Yeah, right. I'm sorry, I don't know. I don't Especially know. as a man, right? Because men yeah, want to fix yeah, things. Yeah, yeah. And oh, right. Now, my yeah. wife will know, but I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Yes, exactly. <laughs> yes, yes, yeah. that's oh, so man. good. Well, in your book, you know, it is just it's just filled with incredible stories and, and incredible scripture and, and just the way you've put it all together is just profound. So we highly recommend that all of you Thank listening, you. go yes. and get this book with these words. But um, one of the, the, the um, chapters you talk about angels uh -huh. and I want to bring that up because I think so often we don't really think about angels maybe as often as we should. And, and, you know, we just want you to share a little bit about that story and how maybe it would encourage someone to start thinking about angels more often. Okay. <clears throat> Interestingly, we, we were talking about Alexandra's death about five years after Alex died. Of course, very quickly when she died, we left the mission field, which was more grieving. Mm. And I became a pastor and I sort of, you know, I had a, a wife and two children. I had to continue on and I sort of stuffed my grief and I, I did not grieve as I should have, I don't think. And I, I know that. And I think later on it manifested itself in depression and anxiety and I hid it well. I mean, uh, I, I really hit it for a long time until I sort of, of, of hit the wall. And I remember um, 
being depressed one time. I was in my office. I told my secretary, I said, I don't want to be disturbed for any reason. And um, I, it wasn't 15 minutes. And I was in my office crying. I was just crying. And I'm not one to cry. I just said I was sitting in my office crying. I think the pressure of not just the suppressed grief, but just the pressure of trying to to corral Baptists, you know, and keep it all together, like, yeah. keep it all together yeah. and all yeah. that. And Corral Baptist. And, that's going to be the title of your next corral, book. Yeah. How to like corral Baptist. Corral cats would be uh-huh. easier, you know. Yeah. But uh, here she comes knocking on my door. And I said, I don't want to be dispersed. She said, you got to take this call. And I said, I can't. Tears running down my face. I said, okay, I'll take it. And I picked up the phone, and it was one of the members bawling. She said, Richard, I haven't been to church in a couple of weeks. She goes, you know that. And I said, yeah, I'm sorry. And said, I'm so depressed. I can't even get out of the bed. Will you come and pray with me? Oh, man. (laughs) And here I am crying. And uh, I um, said, of course I will. And I, when I hung up the phone, I, I remember the exact words. I said, Jesus, I know you did this. Yeah. I know you did this. <laughs> but um, in the midst of this depression, I had gone to an associational meeting. I was driving down Interstate 40, and I had to get off of this ramp, and I did. And there was a man standing there. And this is so typical of some of these angel stories you hear, but this happened to me. And um, he was standing there, and I just imagined, and it was a yield sign to go to the right after he got off of, the, the, off of it. So I just went on, and I saw him, and I thought, you know, I need to give him some money. And, I, and he looked at me as I went by. So I kept on going, and I thought, you know, that poor man can be hungry. So here, here I am. I turn the car around, and I go back, and I pull my car up to him, roll the window down. And he's to my left, and I had some money in my my car and I said here I want to give you this and he walks over to and he doesn't take the money he pushes my arm back in the car Mm. and he says I don't need your money I'm just here to tell you you're going to be better soon and this depression's leaving wow (laughs) wow I bet your eyes got wide open okay Jesus I get it listen (laughs) you know for for a Pentecostal that would be just obvious to a Baptist that doesn't, you know, and I said, <laughs> what? So I didn't know what to say. I said, well, thank you. And I drove off. And as I drove away, I said, I just saw an angel. So I mm. turned around to go back, gone. Oh, my. Wow. wow. So I didn't even go to the uh, meeting. Uh, I just turned my car and went back to my office. And I just pondered what had happened that day. And I thought, well, should I tell people this? Should I not tell people this? Well, they think I'm crazy. <laughs> yeah. Well, they already thought I was crazy, but will they, will they? And I come out of my office to go to my car that day. And as I went to my car, I heard the birds sing for the first time. Mm. And that's when my depression lifted. Ah, beautiful. And you know, beautiful. these oh, things beautiful. happen. I, I, yeah. before I retired, this happened at my last church and, um, I was standing out in the backyard, and uh, Trisha and I love cardinals. After Alex died, we read this book, The Gift of the Red Bird, and it was about this woman, and uh, it was an article book, I can't remember exactly, a woman's whose child had died, and the child before she died told her mother, Mama, don't worry, I'm going to heaven, and I'll send you a red bird. Mm. So the woman heard that but weeks later she was sitting in her den and that memory came back and she said god if you ever did anything for me let me go out on my patio and see a red bird 
And she writes that she goes out on her patio and there's not a red, there is a flock of cardinals. Oh my word. A flock. (laughs) And I said to myself, if that, God, if you did that for her, would you do that for me? And honestly, Todd and Wendy, they will come at the most obscure times. Patricia and I both know that these little birds. Well, I was in the backyard, cardinals everywhere. And I said, I, you know, I wonder who's here with me. I wonder why the Lord is sending me and I can hear their little sounds. And there was a butterfly down in my yard flying around down there. And I was just silly. And I said, Lord, you know, I love you and trust your story so much that that butterfly down there could come and light on my finger. And God is my witness. That butterfly flew all the way and lit on my finger. Oh, Oh, man. God loves you so much. (laughs) And I said, God, I know this is special between you and me. And I, 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 I don't think I can even share this so special, not even with Patricia. Oh. But when Patricia got home, I said, you won't believe what happened. <laughs> <laughs> and then That's good. Sunday, I said, I shouldn't tell this to the congregation. Right into the sermon, you're not going to believe what happened to me. Now, I want to tell you, these things don't happen often. But I said to myself, told my wife this afterwards, for as long as I live, when I go through the difficult days that I'm going to go through, as you will, we all will, I'll never forget that day. Mm-hmm. It was just a little grace gift God gave me that. Yeah. He is very active in this world. A lot of things are happening around me that I don't understand, but why should I have to understand them? I trust mm-hmm. a good God who's telling a good story. And in the book of Revelation, what's this final promise? I make all things new. Mm-hmm. I believe that. I believe he's going to bring Alex back. I believe in the resurrection that we're all going to be together someday. Richard, your, your childlike faith is so inspiring and you, you approach life with a, with an expectation that God is going to reveal his love in all kinds of interesting ways from, from an angel to a butterfly. Comment for a moment, if you will, um, because he's a good God. And then you talk about who has a good story. What's the good story? There is a meta narrative, a a greater story. I think Luke, my favorite gospel is Luke, and mainly because of the Christmas stories. I love it. Uh, One of the first scriptures I ever memorized as a child being taken to Bible school was, and there were shepherds abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them, the glory of the Lord shone round about them. They were so afraid. It says, it starts out, Luke talks about the census, that Rome was demanding a census, that all go to their birthplaces. Um, And then he jumps to a bigger story, angels appearing to shepherds, inviting these wayward ones. It was as if this meta-narrative was overtaking Rome. And think about it. Caesar was sending everyone back to their hometowns, for taxation, and he didn't even realize that over and above all of that in the meta narrative, God was getting Joseph and Mary back to Bethlehem, mm-hmm. where Jesus would be born. So I believe, and my little story is part of a bigger story. Your little story is part of the bigger story. Mm-hmm. And many times, when we we are having trouble and we're doubting and we're tempted to doubt and so forth, we're we're hyper focused on the little story. And you look through Scripture, any story in Scripture is a little story, but it is part of a larger story. 
And we really come to appreciate the little stories in the Bible because we can see them from the context of the bigger story, and the little story becomes all that much greater. So I think one day when God gives us our life review, um, we're going to stand amazed that, you know, even a smile, even an encouraging word uh, changed the course of someone's life. We just don't, we're going to stand amazed at what he did, not what we did, Mm, what he did through us. He's the author. He's the one writing the story, and I want him to write my story. I, you know, I have a lot of ideas of things I want to do, but he's taking me to places in my life. I, I grew up poor. I, I never imagined. No, I'm the first to graduating college, from college in my whole family. He's taken me places. Goodness gracious, I, I would never have written my story. In fact, I wouldn't have chosen me, but he did, mm-hmm. and he's written my story, and I trust that. And I don't want to get stuck in the bad times in my story because mm-hmm. there's a bigger story that will have a good ending. My my little story could have a terrible ending. It, uh, many Christians, their little story ends terribly. But that's not the end of the story. That's not that. The story goes on. It's such an encouraging mm-hmm. word. And um, honestly, Richard, the, the fact that just picturing it, first of all, with that childlike faith and understanding that mm-hmm. we do just have a little story in the mix of the big story and we all are intricately connected. And Absolutely. he thought of each and every one of us before the world even existed. Yeah. And so with that said, and all of your um, 45 years of ministry that God has called you to um, now you're in, you know, quote unquote retirement, but you're uh-huh. not really retired. Cause look, we're having this beautiful conversation <laughs> right. right here. Yeah. Um, so how are you going about accepting the new ways of, of God's call on your life and being faithful with that? And how does that look with you and Patricia? You know, we didn't know what life would be like in retirement because Patricia had an active ministry, just as active as my ministry. And uh, she worked with the Hispanic population, mainly here in Memphis. And when we retired, it was absolutely glorious, wonderful. It's like we got married again. Oh, cute. Uh, we, <laughs> Well, you know, we had time for each other, and we didn't feel guilty about that. Uh, we've given our lives to the Lord's work. I know that He still has things for us to do. Yeah. But the first year of the pandemic, we dedicated ourselves to, to finishing this book with these words. And um, Patricia was a great help. She was my editor, typist, all of that. And um, we have enjoyed a, a renewed interest in taking care of ourselves physically. We have a mm. beautiful park here in, in Memphis that we try to get in five miles a day. Our, That's great. And stay in good shape. Our grandchildren, when we were working, we saw them 4th July and Christmas, basically. Now we get to see them more often. Mm. And we're waiting to see, you know, there are, I still want to continue writing, uh, mentoring uh, persons, younger people. Um, and uh, just being open to what God would have me do. It could be that I'll go back into a part-time position helping a younger pastor. But at present, I am just enjoying time with the Lord mm. uh, and not just trying to get material for a sermon, but just oh, yeah. time mm. with the Lord, you know. And I Getting material um, for your heart. Amen. Amen. Well, I do, I do hope that part of God's plan is that you continue writing. And I, I say that in all sincerity, your, your writing mm-hmm. is so 
um, it, it's captivating. I, it just makes me want to keep reading like the next lines to figure out what's the next thing you're going to reveal. And you, you tell many, many stories in this book. So I'm talking right now about with these words, your, your newest book. And just even looking at the contents page, you've got like one word descriptions of those sections uh-huh. uh, from relinquish, relinquish and election and surrender and doubt and miracles. And I could go on They're They're all, they're really interesting. They aroused my curiosity, but I'm just real, real curious. Was there anything in particular in here that challenged you more than any other subject? Like election is not the easiest thing to talk about. Like no, it's no, it's not. No, theological. It's not. Yeah. yeah. What challenged you yeah. theologically to really have to go deep? Uh, you know, that chapter on election, uh, you know, well, I have the opportunity to do, do some revisions, which Trish and I are going to be doing that in the spring. Uh, election is just a, a, a subject that has just intrigued me because y- you think about God electing us before the foundation of the world mm-hmm. and uh, how Christians over the centuries have tried to unpack what election is. and. Mm-hmm. Uh, you look at someone like John Calvin or, or, or Wesley and, and then Karl Barth later on, the theologian Karl Barth, the greatest pastoral theologian, I think, uh, in the last 500 years, his idea of election as well. It, it is, um, you know, we don't understand it, but we just love it, knowing that God would choose. You know, I, I wouldn't choose me. Would you choose you? <laughs> oh, goodness, no. no. <laughs> no. I love that. I love that you would even say, I wouldn't choose me, but that's, that's how you know God's in it all, right? (laughs) Because he chose Uh, us and uh, he believes in us more than, than we even do ourselves because he knows the end of the story. (laughs) Absolutely. And it's a good story. And it is a good story. And it's going to be a good ending too. Oh, I love that. Right. Yes. Yes. He's a good God and you are um, a good man. And I appreciate you so much, Todd and I both do. We appreciate your, your writings, but also just your, your heart and appreciate Patricia and your son, Justin, that helped made this uh, interview possible. And um, just just your heart for for shepherding others yeah. and getting thank them to much. know God's truth. So thank you so very much for this interview, and um, God bless you. And you too. Um, we hope to do another interview with you soon. Thank, thank you, you. God right. bless. God bless. Bye-bye. Take care. Well, that was um, always. I mean, we gosh, we have so I, many great guests. And I say it every time. Yeah. But my goodness, he's such a precious human depth. being. He is deep. Yes. And yet he's not complicated. And no, and he's, part of that he's is very humble. Southern, and I part love of that, the southern. Part accent. of the southern accent. I mean, that, <laughs> it that keeps it. That home. keeps it real and keeps it simple. <laughs> but I, uh, you know, again, I don't, I, I don't brag on a lot of books, but I'm bragging on this one because yeah. this one has got profound theology yeah. tucked all throughout it. But without it sounding theological, yeah. without it sounding very relatable, yeah. great stories. And they're you can short, get plus it on they're, they're, Amazon with these words, yeah. Richard S. Hips, yeah, and he's got H-I-P-P-S. some other books. Just, just search for him on mm-hmm. uh, on Amazon. Yeah. But uh, he's he's got that grip on who God is because he's got that childlike faith. And I think as we listen to him, probably the number one thing that challenges me most about Richard's story is, am I willing to put myself in that same place of having childlike faith so that no matter what happens in life, we can keep trusting that he's a good God with a good story yeah. that'll have a good outcome. Yes. Yep. Sign that piece of blank paper. Yeah. Trust the Lord. So do you trust him today? We sure hope so. 
And uh, we trust that you will share this episode with others because we know it'll be a blessing. So thank you for doing that. Thank you for tuning in. And uh, we will catch you next time on Your Biggest Breakthrough. So glad you could join us today. And you'll find a new episode every Tuesday on your favorite podcast platform. And if you've been encouraged by listening or viewing, would you just take a moment and give us a five-star rating and a quick review? That'd be so awesome. Yeah, and also please share this with your friends and loved ones. If you have comments or questions, or if you're looking for an advertising opportunity, please get in touch with us at yourbiggestbreakthrough.com. Or if you'd like to optimize your health and wellness, you can work directly with Wendy. Go to wendypat.com. Or if you're a guy and you're interested in mentoring and coaching, go to toddisburner.com. We look forward to having you join us on our next episode of Your Biggest Breakthrough.